couple of weeks ago, within a few days' time, two people died who were members of the Sebring Church of the Brethren in Florida, the first congregation I served after seminary. I learned of both deaths through Facebook posts. The first person died of cancer not very long after his diagnosis. His son had messaged me directly when his father was diagnosed. I responded with concern. We've kept in touch on and off over the years, so I was not surprised when he reached out to share the news. It took me back 30 years to the time when I started that pastorate in Florida. So the time of having a more immediate relationship was a long time ago now, but at the same time, it feels like just yesterday. So my sadness for the family is real and immediate. The second death came to my attention because I am Facebook friends with the woman who died. So when her adult children posted about her death and copied it to her page, it came up on my feed. I posted a sympathy comment in response to that announcement, and shortly after that, one of her sons and then her daughter each sent me a friend request. I messaged each of them privately to share more of my memories and appreciation for their mother. Then the daughter sent me a link to watch a recording of the memorial service on YouTube, which I did. It all took me back to those early days of pastoral ministry when I was so inexperienced, so young, so uncertain about what to do and how to do it. Those days when more often than not, I felt like I was in the deep end of the pool. In the case of Lucy, the woman who died just recently and whose children I messaged with, she was five or six years older than me, so she was maybe just past 30 years old when I met her. But she had four children, ranging in age from maybe five or six to 11 or 12. She came to the church in a way that seemed to me to be a strange but almost mystical kind of way. She was living with a man, maybe he was her common-law husband if I remember correctly, and one day she had him drive her around town, past the various churches, and when she came to the Church of the Brethren, she pointed to it and said to him, that's the one, that's the church I'm going to go to, that will be my church. When she told me the story later, I thought it was kind of bizarre, especially since we talk so much about how the church isn't the building, but the people. And she didn't know anything about the people, the congregation. She didn't even know anything about the tradition, the denomination, the history, the theology, when she went around town looking at different church buildings. But when she saw our church building, she had decided that would be her church. So she came with her four children in tow. She showed up and she kept showing up and she became part of the church, part of the community, part of the fellowship. Her kids went to Sunday school. They got signed up to go to church camp. There weren't many children in the church at the time, so they got a lot of attention and care. It was clear she had made the right choice. She let the church love her family and in return, the complexion of the church changed just a little bit with children of color bringing a kind of blessed brightness to that mostly old, nearly all-white congregation. 
A year or two passed, and Lucy, who was a hardy soul but with frail health, got more and more sick. It was a kidney disease, and she had other complications as well. She went to see the doctor, and the prognosis was not good. He told her she needed to get her affairs in order. Things were not looking good. She came to me and asked, If something happens to me, will you take care of my children? I don't remember if it was quite that direct and blunt, but pretty close to that. I think the chair of the deacons at the time was present for the conversation too. Afterwards, I asked the woman who was the chair of the deacons what she thought. She echoed what I was feeling. I don't know how you would do it, but I don't think you can say no. And she said, you know, if it comes to that, I will help you. The church will help you. Lois and I talked it over and she agreed as well. How could we say no? So Lucy went to a lawyer and had papers drawn up indicating her wishes that I would be the legal guardian and caretaker of her children should she die. I wasn't her next of kin, I wasn't her family, so we didn't know what the courts might decide, but at least she had made her wishes known. It's a long time ago now, but I still remember that I was, in a way, terrified. What did I know at age 26 or so about raising children who were 6, 8, 10, 12 years old, four of them? Lois and I had been married just a few years at that point. We had no plans yet for children of our own and obviously no experience parenting. And what about the financial responsibility? We would be taking that on as well. I was going through some files the other day and I just happened to find my contract from when I started at Sebring. I was making less than $25,000 a year. On the other side of it, I also remember feeling somehow encouraged heartened. What an expression of confidence and trust. What an affirmation of who I was trying to be, the kind of care I've been trying to give. As much as I felt scared, I also felt honored, affirmed. I figured that somehow, no matter what happened, Lois and I would find our way. If it had to be done, we would do it. We would be frightened, maybe overwhelmed, but we would do it. We would figure it out. Reality, with its pressing needs and expectations, would have to take precedence over our uncertainties and anxieties. But we certainly had mixed feelings. Feelings of fearfulness and assurance. Responsibility and uncertainty the known and the unknown, mystery and expectation. What a a bundle of mixed feelings. In the scripture today, the disciples also have a bundle of mixed feelings. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. Can you be confident and afraid at the same time? Joyful and skeptical all at once? Of course. Much of life, especially when it comes to the parts that seem to matter most, is just that way. A mixed bag. 
as it happened, life went on. Lucy's life went on. She went on dialysis, and for decades, she managed to make it. Lois and I moved a 1,000 miles away. The children grew up. They had children. So Lucy lived long enough to not only see her children well into adulthood, but to see them with children of their own, her grandchildren. It was interesting, interesting to me as I heard the news then of her death all these years later that I felt immensely moved with sympathy for her grown children. I felt deeply concerned for them. I wondered why I was experiencing such intense feelings all these years later. And I've decided that even though I didn't ever have to take them into my home, I had taken those children into my heart. I had settled over on the side of anticipated responsibility rather than ongoing uncertainty. And because of that, they've been occupying a small hidden corner of my heart all this time. And I didn't even really realize it. But that's the way of the human spirit. We try to get things settled. You can have mixed feelings in the moment, but you know you can't live there. You can't live there forever. You have to settle on one side or the other. Are you going to be afraid or are you going to be assured? Overwhelmed or determined? Cautious or accepting? Of course, crossing over from fear to joy to settle there isn't an easy thing necessarily, especially when there's a good dose of confusion or surprise or uncertainty mixed in. Wrapping our heads around something we didn't expect and aren't quite sure we can believe can be incredibly challenging. And not just wrapping our heads around the unexpected or hard to imagine, but wrapping our hearts around it, sorting out our emotions, our feelings. For all the certainty we try to project as we move through life, we are in reality often quite confused of two minds with mixed feelings. And getting settled into a new reality is not so simple. That may be why Jesus makes multiple appearances to the disciples. Once is not enough. The mix of fear and joy is too intense to sort out in just one encounter. They have to get used to a new reality. They have to have enough space and enough confirmation and enough perspective to begin to move from disbelief to determination, from grief to hope. In this story, Jesus starts again with his familiar opening line, peace be with you. I said last week that perhaps he means peace be with you as in don't be afraid or everything will be okay or settle yourselves. Peace be with you as in, I know you are confused and uncertain about what to do next, but I'm here with you now. I will give you direction, the next steps. It's like there's not only a bowl full of mixed feelings, but the beater is running at full speed. But then Jesus switches it off. Peace be with you. 
But not just that, not just words. He sees that the disciples aren't settled. He sees they're still mixed up. He's there bodily, but they are caught between disbelief and hope. Is that really him? Is that his broken body now restored? He takes a next step. He asks them for something to eat. Now, it might be that eating is the easiest demonstration of the bodily resurrection. If he can eat, then surely he must be alive. And that's true. Eating is proof of life. But I wonder if it isn't more than that. I wonder if asking for something to eat is a way of bringing things back into focus, back to ground zero, a way of remembering, ah, yes, Food is a reminder of relationship, of normal daily life, of our shared humanity. The story turns a corner then, from mixed feelings to clear directions. Things are settled then. They get their next instructions, their next steps. They're empowered to move forward. It would be easy to say that that's the point of the story, Get past the uncertainty and unfamiliarity of the resurrection reality in order to get on with things. But I'm not sure that's the only point or even the most important learning. Because I think that more of our lives are lived in those spaces of mixed feelings than of resolved feelings. More of our reality is tied up with unsettledness than resolution. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. But you know what? God is patient with us. God knows we need one step and then another to get where we need to go. God knows we need gentle words, peace be with you, and simple signs, a piece of broiled fish, in order to turn off the mixer and let the feelings settle. Faith isn't about pushing through the doubts, forcefully casting them aside. Faith is about slowing down enough to remember who you are and whose you are and what you can do because of who you are, even if you aren't at all sure how you will do it. Faith is trusting that if you can settle enough and imagine the possibilities, that you will, by the grace of God, be able to take the next step and the step after that and the step after that. Over more than 30 years of ministry, some people have imprinted on my memory and on my heart more than others. I suspect that the ones who continue to live in my mind and heart most vividly are the ones like Lucy who expected more of me than I thought I was ready to take on. Maybe the ones who taught me that my capacity to believe, to believe in myself, in those around me, in the church, could be stretched further 
than my swirl of doubts and feelings would have suggested. Being in the mix isn't so bad. It's often a prelude to stepping out in faith. Let us pray. God, you meet us in the mix, the mix of feelings, anticipations, and expectations, the mix that so defines our outlook. You meet us there with gentle words and small symbols that endorse our humanity, but also feed our hope. Maybe there is something for us today of such hope, some affirmation, some task, some risk that we need to take. Give us courage to meet what is in front of us, to let our mix of feelings settle enough that we might take a step of faith. There is hope for this world, and we are in the mix for that. We can be disciples and witnesses and faith bearers. May it be so, in the name of Christ. Amen. Please join me in some continuing moments of silent reflection.